I don't, I don't know if I'm going to answer any of your questions, but we'll have a go at it. Uh, Monica mentioned uh, that the seasonal colors are supposed to change. Uh, it is Trinity Sunday today, so technically we should be switching over to green. Uh, but we've got this beautiful red fall on the communion table, and I've got this great red stole, so why not do the Pentecost color for a few, like this is 100% a Jackie decision. This is not a church or a liturgical calendar decision. I've just decided every year that we're gonna keep the red out until the end of June. Um, but yes, if you are following the liturgical calendar, we should be switching to green for Trinity Sunday. So in case you missed it, and we've now mentioned it a few times, last Sunday was Pentecost. We celebrated by hearing the story of the Holy Spirit descending like wind and flame upon the disciples of Christ who had been hiding together in an upper room. We celebrated by wearing red. This church does love a reason to dress up. Uh, and eating red velvet cupcakes. Thank you, Monica. We celebrated by remembering together that the work of the church had only just begun that day. It had much work to do much ground to cover. It was always meant to expand and diversify and change. Christianity has never, ever been a single homogenous religious belief or practice. It has always been colorful and variegated. Not even those who followed Jesus in life, the disciples themselves, not even they could agree on the best way to go about following the Messiah. Pentecost us that. When the disciples burst out of the upper room into the streets, preaching and proclaiming Jesus as God's Christ, God's promised one, the passers-by were able to understand them in their various languages and dialects. Pentecost has a way of unifying people without the need for uniformity. Those who chose to follow Jesus that day 3,000 people, so the author of Acts tells us, didn't all start to act and look and think and talk the same way. Pentecost is about expansiveness and diversity. The church has always been called to expansiveness and diversity, which I can appreciate is tricky sometimes, right? It's much easier when everyone around us sort of looks and sounds and smells and acts the same way as us. It helps when the people in our church or our group or our club all have the same ideas and practices and traditions and expectations. Ideal if everyone has the same taste in hymns, too. It's helpful if everyone wears similar clothes, eats similar food, values the same priorities. Why? because there's comfort in uniformity. There's a perception of safety and security when everyone is sort of the same. Unfortunately, over time, we've done this not only to one another and the church, we've also done this to God, specifically the second person of the Trinity. We imagine a Jesus who looks like us. Let me explain. Uh, but I'm going to use a cultural reference. I realized last week that my reference to this one song from 1998 was, there was a generational gap that I missed. Uh, so sorry for those who had a very different song at the end of the night at the bar 50 years ago. I, sorry. 
you'll have to give me this feedback ahead of time. But I am going to use a current cultural reference, and I do have surprise slides, Rachel, so I need the first one. There we go. So there's a bit of a dust-up right now concerning the latest live-action Disney film, The Little Mermaid. Some folk are getting real mad about the casting choice for Ariel. Now, I can't for the life of me figure out why people have a problem with this. And I have, on the odd occasion, gone into the fray on social media to remind people that they're arguing for the racial purity of a mermaid. A, a mermaid. Let's... A fictional character. It makes no sense to me. Especially given the fact that most of the people who are upset about the change that they see in the mermaid Ariel are also the same people who have done an ethnic switcheroo to Jesus. So let's... Oh boy. Yep. I assure you, Jesus was not white or European or American. He was from the Middle East. And yet, just look at the versions of Jesus in our stained glass windows. Whoops. And the art that hangs in our buildings or in our homes, very white and Western. We have created Jesus in our own image. Why? We have done this because there is a comfort and a predictability in uniformity. A God who looks like us is easier to follow. I remember attending a seminar at a preaching conference about the impact various images of Jesus have on us and on those with whom we do ministry. People have embedded, here's your $10 word for today, Christologies, that is, beliefs about the person of Jesus, shaped by the representations of him that have surrounded them through their lives. So the images that we do see in our stained glass windows and art are Sunday school lessons. You'll notice that the material Monica uses, none of them have faces, and they're all stained different colors. Very intentional. Resistance to any Jesuses that challenge these entrenched portraits are real. I remember some of the arched eyebrows we got after we hung the illustrated ministry's image of Jesus in the hallway outside of the sanctuary here, that one. A few curious about that choice of Jesus. Toying with the embedded images people have about Jesus is like knocking on the front door of a carefully constructed theological house of cards. I remember the speaker at that conference saying to us, Often when there is pushback to our preaching, it's usually not what we have said, but what scripture actually says. The rejections especially surface when it comes to Jesus. Because if we can imagine anything like a relationship at all with the Godhead, with the divine, let's face it, Jesus is the easiest one. He was human after all. He's the one we connect to most readily. Why? Because he looks like us. He took on flesh and bone like us. God the creator, God the father, bit too vast to get our simple minds around sometimes. God the spirit, hmm, fire, wind, breath, a dove, 
a bit too nebulous for a relationship, but Jesus, we can relate to him. He feels predictable, comfortable, and safe. And we can make him relate to us. But what does scripture actually say about Jesus, about who he was and is? Perhaps more importantly, how did Jesus respond to questions about his own identity? Well, in John's gospel, a bit later in chapter 10 from where Janice read, uh, reading from verses 22 on, this question of Jesus' identity comes up. It says this, at that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, unlike here, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. My sheep, they hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. This is the only time in John where Jesus is asked directly whether he is the Messiah or not. Jesus' response, however, is less than clear. Classic Jesus. Instead of saying, I have told you that I am the Messiah, he simply responds, I have told you. What, Jesus, what exactly have you told us? But then Jesus goes on and connects his identity back to his sheep. He doesn't call himself here the good shepherd. Rather, he points to his relationship with the sheep. And therein lies the answer. Jesus doesn't answer the question about his identity with who he is, but rather for what he so desperately longs, to be in relationship with his sheep. Are you the Messiah? I already told you. I know my sheep, and they know me. So what does any of this have to do with Pentecost, or Trinity Sunday, or communion? Let's see if I can pull the threads together for you. In Matthew 28, when Jesus is commissioning the disciples, just before he ascends to the Father, he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This is one of the few times in Scripture we have the three persons of the Trinity spelled out, Father, Son, Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, whatever formula you want to use. Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have taught you, Jesus said, which is more than just accepting a certain dogma or doctrine. It's a call to pursue a style of life that's based on love and justice, a command to be doers of the word that Jesus has spoken from God, not simply hearers. To get that, really go back in Matthew and read the five major sermons included in this gospel. You'll find in Matthew's gospel a call to a common praxis, not to a common religion. To God, a liberating praxis that is a practice carries more weight than orthodox doctrine. A new commandment Jesus gave us, that we love one another. Teach them that and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, 
and Holy Spirit. Okay, fine. Uh, so Pentecost has arrived. We are sent out of the upper room, and we are told to go and spread this good news. Who do we say has sent us? The Trinity? What does that even mean? Who is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Well, I am that I am, says the Creator, from the middle of a burning bush. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me, says the Son. Sounds of violent rushing wind and something like tongues of flame, says the Spirit. That is who is sending us. The God who defines themselves by their connection to one another and their creation. What is the Trinity? The God who sends the church into the world? The Trinity is connection. The Trinity is relationship. The Trinity is community. We want clarity. The Trinity desires connection. We want to know what to believe. The Trinity desires belonging. Baptizing people with the Trinitarian formula implies their incorporation into a community that acknowledges and confesses a relational Godhead. God relates to us as parent, as sibling, as creative force, just to mention a few things. Also, the Trinity speaks of the diversity that exists in the Godhead, which is the reason why the mission must be carried out among the diversity of the many nations. If the Trinitarian formula has contributed anything to the understanding of God, it is that God is relational and diverse, but at the same time maintains a basic unity of being. There's unity in diversity, Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in his final benediction, he says, Farewell with the Trinitarian formula, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Unity in a diverse church can only be assured by the presence of a diverse Trinitarian God. The church has always been called to expansiveness and diversity. It's who we're meant to be. The Jews gathered around Jesus and said, will you tell us what to believe? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus said, I already told you. The sheep know the sound of my voice, and I know each one by name. It is not we who are meant to make God in our image, but God who is three in one and one in three, who invites and desires to make us, all of us, in their image. And that image is connection. And that image is community, and that image is relationship and belonging. It's messy and unclear, and you try to make lines and make sense of it, and Jesus comes along with an eraser. That's what the Trinity means. Connection and belonging. A belonging in a body called to serve the world beyond racial, ethnic, sexual, economic, and religious differences. A diverse God, a Trinitarian God, is calling God's people to be diverse, putting into action the authority for liberation that God has given them.
That is what it means. And it's through the breaking of bread and the sharing of a common cup that we are drawn together again, that we are nourished by the Holy Spirit and reminded of our call to expansiveness and diversity and then sent back out into the world to show the world an alternative way of being where all are welcome and all are invited to unity, but without the fear of uniformity. Thanks be to God. Amen.